Today's reading is John 14, 1 through 14. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and still you do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. We're in the middle of a series titled Live the Questions Now. And this series, we're looking at the questions that Jesus himself asked. Jesus asked so many questions throughout the Gospels. And because Jesus asked those questions, we're wanting to take time to let those questions be questions that we concern ourselves with. I mean, all of our lives are lived in response to the questions we're asking. And it's important that we actually take some time and reflect on what those questions are, but let Jesus perhaps give us new questions to ask. That we would let Jesus be the one who takes charge of our imaginations and our thoughts so that our lives might be lived in response to the questions that Jesus himself asked of us. Because questions have an incredible power, at least for me, of slowing me down. 
When someone asks a question, it makes me stop and think and reflect. And Jesus himself was so remarkably good at doing that. The question this morning that we're going to be looking at comes from a familiar text in John 14, which was already read for us. Now, just to set the stage a little bit of this text and this question, John 14, I mean, it's, it really is a seminal passage. It's something that if we've been in church, we are probably aware of, particularly John 14, 6. But in the, in the context of this passage, Jesus has let his disciples in on what will be happening to him. That something will be happening to him, that he will be going to the cross, that he will be going back to the Father. And he's wanting to comfort the disciples by saying, I will go and I will prepare a place for you. And Thomas asks the question, well, how do we know where you're going? And then, of course, Jesus responds, well, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father but through me. Thomas is wanting to get to the Father. But then Philip, he asks this question, well, just show us the Father. Can you show us the Father? And then Jesus responds with this haunting question. And I came across this question, and it was like I'd never actually read this passage before, or at least never saw this question. And Jesus says, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me? That question has been haunting me. And it's been haunting me because Jesus in this text is over and over saying, it is about me, you cannot get around me. If you want to see and meet the Father, then you have to meet me. If you want to go where I am going, that is only through me. Christianity, life, God himself is unintelligible without Jesus. And as I'm thinking about that, as I'm reading that, I'm like, absolutely, amen. But then this question comes along, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me? And it's haunting because it suggests that though I may think I have been so close to Jesus, there's still the possibility that I have missed something. Though I have been so close to Jesus, there's still the possibility that there is more to know or more to encounter. And this actually makes so much sense. Because if Jesus himself is a person, then it requires relationship to be able to know who Jesus is. But so much of my life, I think I've lived with this idea in terms of Jesus as if I can get a handle on who Jesus is, or I do have a handle on who Jesus is. That all there is to know and perhaps all there is to see, I have known and I have seen. But could you imagine if I I hung out with my wife or I hang out with my wife next week and I'm like, you know what, Mandy? We've had a good time. We've had a good time together. But you know, I think I got you. I think I know all there is to know about you. 
So why don't we just not talk anymore? Or well, maybe I'll see you around. But you know what? We'll stay married. We'll stay close. But I got, I got a handle on who you are. I don't even want to think about what she would do to me <laughs> in response to that. And it sounds so silly and it sounds so obvious, but I think often that I've treated Jesus that way. And maybe to flip it around, if I treated Mandy or my friends how I've often treated Jesus, I wonder if I would still have friends or if, I've, if I would still be married. Jesus is a person and so therefore requires to engage in relationship as we would with a person. And there's a possibility that it feels like or it seems like perhaps we've been with Jesus so long that we've got a handle on him and there's no more that we could actually know. And then this question comes along and it stops me in my tracks. Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me? Haunting. Haunting question. But it's so incredibly important to our faith and to following Jesus to have actually encountered Jesus. Because until we encounter Jesus as a person, then our faith will simply be an idea, not, a, not connected to a person that we follow and that we believe into. Because in this text, Jesus says, life, truth, the way, it's all about me. And we will never, ever believe that or live our life in response to that until we encounter Christ for who he is as the one who has been resurrected from the dead. Scott McKnight, a New Testament scholar, says this, What is worth so much you'd be willing to give your one life to it? I'm persuaded that the religious life won't satisfy. It leads to legalism, it wipes out Jesus, and it leaves us parched and panting for the elixirs of God's life itself. I'm also convicted that the business life and the successful life and the good-looking life won't satisfy. Christianity isn't enough, religion isn't enough, being accepted in a church isn't enough, climbing the corporate ladder isn't enough, Solving intellectual problems isn't enough. Chasing the American dream isn't enough. Finding the person to love isn't enough. Sex isn't enough. Friends aren't enough. Science isn't enough. Politics isn't enough. Money isn't enough. Clothing isn't enough. Food and drink aren't enough. Fame isn't enough. Nothing's enough. The only thing that is enough is Jesus. And the only way to get to Jesus is to follow him. And that means one thing, giving your one life to him. I mean, amen, right? We are not called to follow a moral code or ideas. We are called to follow a living person. A person who lived in history, who at one time, like us, had hands and feet and skin and bones and a face and eyes and nose and ears and kneecaps. I mean, kneecaps. That Jesus was a living person who died, but then was raised again and is still living. 
And we are called to encounter the living Christ. Until we encounter the living Christ, talking about him or sharing the life that he has will be impossible. I mean, I wonder if it feels like pulling teeth to talk about Jesus because it's, it's like we're trying to, in, to introduce other people to someone we haven't even met. But if we encounter the living Jesus, then all of a sudden we are introducing people to someone who we could not possibly live without. To someone who is alive and whose actual life through the power of the Spirit indwells us and so can change us and shape us and make us fully and completely human. I mean, I feel like I've had, over the past year, two remarkable occurrences where my faith has been renewed. Almost a year ago, I've had one of those experiences, and about two months ago, I feel like I've had another one where Jesus became a person afresh in my mind. And it actually has changed my reading of Scripture, where I don't feel like I'm reading about someone or about a character that I'm detached from, but I'm actually reading about a human being who lived once and who died and who was raised again. I am, I am actually engaging and encountering a friend whom I love and want to get to know. And all of a sudden, the stories of Jesus are so remarkably real and powerful and new in a way that it's like I've never read Scripture before. I mean, I see these stories of Jesus encountering these people who, for all intents and purposes, felt like their life was over, and Jesus lifts them up. I mean, literally, quite literally, the story of Lazarus, where this man's life is over, and Jesus calls to Lazarus to come out of the tomb. That's incredible. That's remarkable. But even before that, that Jesus wept? That Jesus himself had tears? That the people who needed compassion and who needed kindness and who needed a healing touch, like Jesus himself was there and was able to provide that for people. Jesus, who was when put on a cross, said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. I mean, that is crazy. And to think that a human being actually said those things. In the college group, we've been reading the Sermon on the Mount, and we've been challenging each other to simply read through that over and over and over again. So we read chapter 5, then chapter 6, then chapter 7, then we start over. One chapter a day. And it's been an incredible experience. Imagining that like the disciples, you are coming to the feet of Jesus and he is teaching you afresh. His words and his kingdom way of living is becoming so real. I mean, you get to chapter 6, or right before chapter 6, and Jesus says, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. This last week, I was talking with someone over the phone who I have a really difficult time forgiving. And these words of Jesus are going through my mind and not just words, but actually believing and seeing that Jesus himself embodied those words. To pray for those who persecute you. I got off the phone and I called that person back and I said, can I pray with you? And then all of a sudden it was like, 
It wasn't incredible. It was, it, was, it was really difficult. I did not want to do that. But I felt like Jesus provided a way for me to do that. That Jesus himself did that and is at work within my life, and so I too can do that. And so I prayed with this person, and I went home, and I was talking to Mandy about it, and I was like, it was just so hard. And I don't think that I would have been able to do that if Jesus had not given me a fresh encounter with himself, with this living person of who he is, and that I can know him, and that I want to know him. My prayer for us as a congregation, I've been praying this consistently for the past month, is that the Spirit of God would breathe a fresh encounter of Christ upon us. That we as a people would encounter Jesus in a way we haven't before. That it would be undeniable to us that yes, Jesus is a person who is alive, whom we can know, and whom we can share to the world. That has been my prayer. And so the question that I've been wrestling with this week then, so how, how do we come to know Jesus? What does it look like to encounter Jesus? And I'd like to suggest that I think there are some postures that we can actually live into, practices or postures that might help or create an environment where we can encounter Christ afresh. And the first one is a posture of openness. A posture of openness to Jesus. The possibility that we don't have a handle on Jesus, that there is more to know, that there is deeper we can go with Jesus, and that we are open to actually discovering what that is. An openness to the awe and to the wonder and to the curiosity of the person of Jesus. That we would have a posture of openness. But an openness actually to the work of God to allow that to happen. I mean, I find it remarkable that the Apostle Paul is constantly praying for God's help, for us, for people, to know who God is. It sounds counterintuitive, right? God, would you help me know you? God, would you give me the power to know your love? I mean, I think it seems like we should be able to just work our way into that or believe it, but Paul seems to suggest that it's a work and an act of the Spirit to have some knowledge that's able to comprehend the love of Christ. I mean, I'm just going to read a few things from Paul's letters. Ephesians 1, 15 through 23, he says this within there, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. In Ephesians 3, 11 through 19, he says this, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his inner spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to the fullness of God." Colossians 1, Paul prays this, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. 
We continually ask God to fill you with knowledge of His will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. And do you want to meet Jesus? Do you want to encounter Christ? Do you truly want to experience the love and life He offers? If the answer is yes, pray to God that you would actually be able to know and to understand. Ask that God, by the power of His Spirit, would make that possible, that you could encounter the living Christ. Another posture, I think, that would help us encounter Jesus is a posture of learning. N.T. Wright says, the longer you look at Jesus, the more you will want to serve him in the world. That is, of course, if it's the real Jesus you're looking at. A posture of learning Jesus. Where we actually go to the Gospels and we want to learn who Jesus is and what he's like. Not just about him, but to see what it was he actually did and who he was, the Father himself, embodied in the person of Jesus. Frederick Beekner, an author and a writer whom I deeply respect and admire, says this, Whoever Jesus was or was not, whoever he thought he was, whoever he has become in our memories since and will go on becoming for as long as we remember him, exalted, sentimentalized, debunked, made and remade to the measure of each generation's desire, dread, and indifference. He was a man once, whatever else he may have been, and he had a man's face, a human face. Like the faces of the people we love, his face has become so familiar that unless we take pains, we hardly see it at all. Take pains. See it for what it is. I mean, do we take pains to see Jesus? Do we spend time wanting to discover who Jesus is? And that word discover for me is so powerful. As if every time we come to the text to encounter Christ, that we potentially could discover something new. That we don't keep Jesus at a distance, that he's this person that we read about, and he's great, and he's wonderful, but he's someone that we could actually know. He's a person that we can encounter. A person whose life that we can embody. And that's a remarkable thing. But it means we need to look at Jesus. We need to take pains to see his face. Now the last posture I'd like to suggest that I think would be conducive to encountering Jesus is a posture of obedience to Jesus. He says it doesn't just come to us, but he comes to us and he asks us to follow him. So to know Jesus and to encounter Jesus is to let Jesus interfere with our lives and to call us in such a way that we are then to respond in obedience and to obey what it is he's calling us to do. This posture of obedience. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, Christianity without the living Christ is inevitably Christianity without discipleship. And Christianity without discipleship is always Christianity without Christ. I, I once heard a theologian say, well, how do you help someone become a fan of Jesus? And he actually likened it to how people become fans of baseball. He says, discipleship is like teaching someone to love baseball. 
Honestly, like, if you are a fan of baseball, you probably grew up watching the game. And there was something intriguing about it. But then over time, you wanted to learn some of the fundamentals of what is actually making that game work. And so you begin to look at different aspects of the game. How it's played, maybe some of the strategies. But then eventually, if you really want to become a fan, you try and learn how to play the game. And in the playing of the game, you realize how difficult it actually is to play the game. And in realizing how difficult it is to play the game, you begin to see these people who do it so well, and you are like, wow. It's remarkable that they can do that. And I think following Jesus and being a disciple of Jesus is the same way. If we're going to have a posture of encountering Jesus, we need to obey what it is he said. For example, the story I told about calling this person back and praying with them reminded me how remarkably difficult it is to live the life that Jesus himself lived. But then how remarkably difficult it must have been for Jesus to be on the cross, to be praying for forgiveness on those who are crucifying him. If we want to encounter Jesus, we are called to obey what it is he's asking us to do. And it's in that obedience that we meet Jesus afresh. That we meet Jesus afresh not only in how remarkable he is, that he himself embodied the ways of living he is calling us to live, but also that he provides what it is we need to be able to do that. All this comes down to the fact that we need to meet Jesus afresh and encounter the person of Christ, the living person of Jesus. That is what I believe God is wanting for our community. And that is what I think our world, our cities, our neighborhoods need. For people who love Jesus, for people who are so remarkably taken up by Christ that they can't help but introduce other people to him. Because he is such a compelling, remarkable figure. A person who has given us life. I think what he's calling us to be, to be people who love, more than anything else, Jesus Christ. I'm going to end with this quote by Stanley Hauerwas. He says, To fall in love with Jesus is frightening. You have, I suspect, fallen in and out of love a number of times. Falling in love has the frightening effect of one's losing control of oneself, with the result that you end up making one disastrous decision after another. And so along the way, we develop self-protective strategies to avoid the costs if we are again tempted to fall in love. Yet Jesus asks you, Jesus tempts you, Jesus means to seduce you to fall in love with him. Not for his sake, but for your sake and the sake of others. For to love Jesus is to be so overwhelmed by his life that we no longer think we must choose between love of ourselves, love of others, and love of God. If we are ardent lovers of Jesus, I think we will find we need no longer take a defensive posture toward toward the world. The world, distrustful that anyone can be trusted to be loved, is dying to know who might be worthy of its love.
We are to be ardent lovers of Jesus. The idea of loving Jesus has something for me that I feel like has been reawakened. Because I think I grew out of wanting to, to, to at, least, at least use that language, love Jesus. But I think it's, it's so appropriate that that's what Scripture talks about. About loving God, about loving Jesus, about loving other people. Because love requires that we actually engage in relationship. That we are not passive observers, but that we step into with our whole lives to what Jesus is calling us to, which is to himself, but then also beyond that, to others. And if we are ardent lovers of Jesus, then all of a sudden we can point the world to something that is worthy of loving that much. Thanks be to God.